What is up? Welcome back to Modern Day Marketer. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. It is Friday as we drop this. You know what that means. I am bringing a conversation to you that'll hopefully inspire, level you up, and get you thinking about some modern day marketing type ways. I have a modern day marketing leader this time around. I'm joined by Daryl Prail, who is the CMO at Agora Pulse. We are going to be talking about how to recruit and hire modern day marketers. So if you are out actively out there trying to bring new people into the organization that can help push your brand forward, or if you're someone who's looking to join a new organization, there's a lot of good nuggets in here from Daryl. If you like what I'm doing over here, hit the subscribe, follow all the buttons. Most importantly, tell a marketing friend you're enjoying the Modern Day Marketing Podcast. Without further ado, let's kick into the conversation. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to Modern Day Marketer. Um, hope you're doing well. I'm excited about this topic. Today, we're talking about how to recruit and hire a Modern Day Marketer. We've seen a lot of transition, or I have personally on, on my LinkedIn feed, and I know a lot of marketing leaders and marketing teams are also looking to grow and add new people. So what better way to talk about it than bring a leader like Daryl, who's the chief marketing officer at Agaro Pulse on. I've seen him through content. Um, he does a nice job of getting his uh, name out there and the brands he's working for out there. And I'm excited to dig into this. So without further ado, Daryl, welcome. How are you? I am well. Thanks for having me on the show. You're right. The topic is timely as hell. There's a lot going on. I know I'm just thinking as we record this, what's happened in the last you know couple of weeks we had, and I'm so I'm Canadian, so I'm going to quote a couple of Canadian companies. So I know we had Shopify reduce their headcount by I want to say ten percent. Uh, we had Unbounce reduce head, headcount. We had Hootsuite just announced a thirty percent headcount. Of course, we compete with Hootsuite. I mean, the, people are getting stressed. Um, but with that all said. I saw the economic numbers recently from the U.S. and, you know, the numbers of people getting hired are still rising. So we have conflicting signals. There's a there's a squeeze on, but the market is still good, uh, which means if you're not in a good situation, how do I put this? If you're not proactively taking control of how you look and appear and and, and how ap- appealing and attractive you are to future employers, you could find yourself in a tough spot. Uh, so this is going to be a fun conversation today. Yeah. And maybe before we hit the topic, I feel like when I think about modern day CMO, it's someone who is active on social media, someone who's creating content on podcasts like this one, doing the YouTube thing. That is something just as an observer of yours, I've noticed that you embrace. And I think when we talked previously, you've said you were kind of on the podcast circuit, doing a lot of conversations, a lot of different recordings, maybe like share some perspective on the why behind, you know, you getting out in front and hitting kind of these new mediums that, you know, our audiences are consuming on a day-to-day basis. It's a, it's an interesting discussion. And it's something I, I talk about often with my fellow CMO colleagues and peers. I'm involved in a couple of different communities that are specific to CMOs or uh, shall we say marketers who are well on the path to becoming a CMO. The modern day marketer has dramatically shifted, right? There was a day when we were all about comms or press you know, press releases and brochures, then websites. And then it shifted into, well, you better become a data scientist. We have marketing automation now. You better know data because people want to measure before. It was like, you know, how did you measure? Did that press release work? Well, we we appeared, you know, a million times. How's our website going? Well, we had this many visitors. None of that was 
tangible. So we became data scientists. We became operations rock stars and the emergence of marketing ops, sales ops, rev ops, often under the marketing domain. But again, it's, it's shifted again. So what's happened? And you saw this pre-COVID uh, and probably I would call it like 2017, 18, 19, kind of the golden years of, of LinkedIn. But then it went nuts during COVID, which is the emergence of the community, the emergency of the personal brand where people... If you're a good marketer, you understand that people don't want to buy from a nameless entity. So I'm with Agora Pulse. Do you want to buy from, you know, some person who you don't know is behind the controls at an Agora Pulse Twitter feed or LinkedIn feed? Of course you don't, right? But do you want to buy from Daryl Prale who happens to work on Agora Pulse? Well, if I like Daryl, absolutely. He's my guy. He's my pal. I love his content. I love what he says. So it's about that trust and that reputation. And it's really, if it makes sense, it's like marketing has become a media publishing conglomerate. That's what we are these days. Think about it. We had content marketing was a thing when HubSpot came in, inbound marketing, the whole idea of driving people inbound. Well, that still exists, but now it's just magnified because we have the emergence of platforms like TikTok and everything else. It's changed the game. Whoever thought you'd see YouTube displaced as the number two search engine behind google.com, yet it's happened. Video is changing everything. Bandwidth connectivity. You are not making content you're stupid. And number one is you make content simply because it's kind of a hub and spoke model. So if I do a webinar, I do a podcast like I'm doing here with you, I'm going to repurpose this content into a TikTok, into a, a YouTube uh, short, an Instagram reel. I'm going to turn it into a blog post. I might turn it into an ebook because SEO is free and you're going to do a Google search. And that's probably your number one or number two channel. So you got to get to make that content. You've got to have a pace and a cadence and a visibility you got to have third-party people you can quote. So I reach additional audiences. It all comes down to content. And it's so weird because I'm actually about to do a, a brand new presentation coming up. We have a summit coming up at the Gora Pulse. It's a social media summit. We usually get about 3,000 people. It's a virtual summit, but it's all about this. And the, the session I'm giving, to your point, it's called uh, the Convergence of Creators, Community, and Content every marketer's worst nightmare. Because as much as we know we need this, 98% of marketers do not want to be in front of the camera. They do not want to have an opinion. They, they suffer from imposter syndrome. They don't like their voice. They don't like how they look on camera. And they know they need it, but they avoid it like the plague. The modern day marketer has to get over themselves and understand that people don't care what you look like or what you sound like. They care about what you're saying. They care about the value you add. They care about who you are. And if you do that, your job will be good. But it's a transition. And that's why I'm talking about this. Because it uh, right now, it's, it remains every marketer's worst nightmare. I did a poll the other day on LinkedIn. And I asked a simple question. I said, hey, marketers, um, do you have an evangelist at your company? And that could be anybody. But do you have one? And one was, you know, I had four options. This is LinkedIn poll. And it was like, an evangelist? Like, what's that? Option number one. Option number two was, well, we have one, kinda. Option number three was, we have one explicitly named. And option number four was, well, we have more than one. Overwhelmingly, it was, what's an evangelist? And, well, we have one, kinda. So, that was the scary part, but I was excited to see how many have a named one or more than one. It was like 30 or 40%. So it is changing, but yeah, the world has changed my friend. That was a long winded answer. 
Feel free to I, edit all I, that out. No, I, I love it. And I uh, will also say, I think you gave me the clip that we can promote on uh, all the social media by saying, if you're not doing content, you're stupid. You're stupid. Something to that. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> exactly. And, and be- before, I feel like a lot of this is going to bleed over to the recruiting and uh, people stuff. But uh, I just reaction and something you said, I listened to you talk about just the content and the distribution and what you're going to do with it. And you're the CMO of Agora Pulse. And my expectation would be like the way you talked about taking this episode and going to chop it up and distribute it through most channels isn't how I would think about how like a CMO would respond to doing a podcast episode. It's more aligned with like, Hey, I need a, a, a market, a marketing manager or a new marketing director to come in and help us streamline this content. So to me, like I listen to that and it just seems like, okay, like this guy's like highly adaptable. He's running and seeing trends, seeing what's important is that is are those like shifts and changes that are happening with marketing? Is that something you're just like constantly paying attention to and refining and figuring out like this, this is what should be my area of focus. And right now it's content. And right now it's trying to get it distributed in the right channels to the right people at the right time. Yeah. It's something I'm doing all the time. So, you know, one of the things when I talk about this, people will say to me, yeah, there, I can't do that. I can't be the content person. I can't be the video spokesperson. I can't, I can't be the public speaker. I'm not you. This is the first part I get. I'm not you. Meaning it does, they, they think that's how I'm wired. And then they'll say, and I don't have your reach. So even if I were to do this, no one's going to consume the content and it's not going to work. Those are the two pushbacks again on a regular basis. And that's when I remind them, uh, I said, you know why I started doing this in the first place? I started doing this in the first place because uh, back in probably 2017, early 2018, at the time, the last gig I was at, the two biggest competitors I had, they had raised hundreds, hundreds of millions of dollars in VC funding and were outspending me every which way you can imagine on every channel. I hadn't. So the only recourse I had as a marketer was to beat them on social and to beat them on SEO and, and out-content them because that's relatively free. But at the time, guess what my reach was? It was effectively zero. For me at the time, LinkedIn was just a glorified resume. That's all it was. I, I had to be there so recruiters could find me and they could pitch me these great offers. That was it. So I said, am I in front of the guy camera? camera loving guy. No, I'm an introvert. And believe it or not, I'm an introvert. It's all proven. Tests have been done. When this podcast or this webinar or this video or something, I finish them doing them, I go in a corner and I curl up and I sleep for an hour. It's exhausting, but that's what I had to do. I had to learn how to become a personality, had to learn how to add value. I had to learn how to, you know, do a, a video clip in 60 seconds or less. All right. I had to learn how to do a lot about freestyling and rapping because they would say, well, what's your script? Well, I'm not going to remember a one minute script. I'm a CMO. I don't have time to memorize a one minute script. Just tell me what you want me to say and I'll use my own verbiage and trust me, we'll figure it out. All those are skills you had to acquire. Just like I had to learn how to become a data scientist. You know, I didn't, I'm not an accountant. Don't ask me. I, I could barely remember what all the acronyms, MRR and ARR, rule of 40 and customer acquisition costs. And I, those were things I had to learn. You reinvent yourself if you want to survive and grow. That's as simple as that. I mean, we've been seeing it for years. I mean, if you're a tradesman, right? You're a tradesman. You start off by using your hand tools, and then eventually you get power tools. Then eventually you get, you know, three-dimensional CAD software. Same tradesman. If you're going to do that, you have to reinvent yourself. If you don't, you die. It's as simple as that. 
I, I love the real talk out of the gates. Let's jump into it. So it's been 18 months since I've been back in the game of marketing to marketers. And I got to be honest, like I've met people through this show and just through connecting online that I've seen transition to two and sometimes three roles in that 18 yep. months. So I think people transition, it's always a thing, but it seems like it's more of a thing now than ever before post COVID. A lot of leaders deal with it. How, how do you manage people transition or think about it? So and it's funny, right? Because I just changed gigs. I joined Agorapults five months ago after being at Alaska for five years. So, you know, I'm living transition now myself. Transition is tough. There's lots of ways you can manage it. So there's kind of the soft skills and the hard skills. All right. So knowing that there's going to be transition on my team, if I look at it from that way as a marketing leader, I look at the hard skills. How can I manage that? So the way around this in the simplest method is this. Every process or workflow that a person who you might lose uh, is working on needs to be documented. It's as simple as that. You know, what are the standard operating procedures? So if I'm going to do a webinar, what are the steps involved? Well, these are the 22 steps and it takes place over three weeks, whatever it might be. Who the hell knows? You're going to do a live stream. You're going to do an email. You're going to do any kind of campaign for the steps involved. And then I put it in a project management tool, Asana, you know, monday.com, whatever. And that way, theoretically, if somebody leaves, if they're you know, you're going to replace them because uh, they've gone to another job, they weren't happy, they got poached because they got off a big pay raise. I just happened. I just lost. I just lost my head of rev ops because she got an staggering pay raise uh, with a new place. And, and it was like, I can't even contemplate matching the pay raise she got. It was not budgeted for. I love her, but she's got to go. How do we manage that? She's the head of my RevOps team. All my CRM, my marketing automation, everything. Like she's core. Perfect example of how to make sure everything's documented. When it's in the project management tool, you plug one name out, put the next name in, and it, it manages it. That's the first part. Second part is cross-training. It sounds stupid, but it's the whole ability of saying, Okay, I know Susie, you're the webinar leader and you or maybe the events manager, call it if you will, live and virtual. Um, but uh, you're gonna work with uh, Billy for the next, you know, 30, 45, 60 days. And Billy's gonna get a little bit of your of your knowledge because you know, Mary's gonna go on vacation or Mary might have a baby. So Billy better be able to, to step in. So that's how those are the two key ways we manage the transition. The last the transition issues, the last thing is this is really, really important. Is, is in the compensation structure and in the incentives. So starting with the incentives, you know, I'm going to pay you, obviously, to do your job, but I'm also going to uh, have a line item on my budget for training you. So I'm going to train you to know more skills than what you have now, which is probably going to overlap with other people's skills. So even if somebody gets hit by a bus and we had no time to do a proper handoff because you've been trained, you probably have enough foundational knowledge to be able to step into the role yeah, you're going to have some hiccups, but you'll do reasonably well. But the other part there is on the compensation structure. So you want to have a variable component to almost every marketer's compensation, which is uncommon at the entry level to middle level of marketers, but that's a mistake, and I, I believe. And the variable portion should be driving the behaviors you want, which a lot of that is also cross-training and knowledge development and other attributes. Uh, and if you do that... Then, if you have transition, you're optimally suited to 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 endure it and come out reasonably well on the other side. Minimally, even if the person 
who's backfilling the person who just left isn't your ultimate person in that role, they can help you get through it, mutter, you know, you know, just kind of stumble along without dropping the ball completely until you you actually do hire somebody with those key skill sets. But yeah, that's a combination. It's training, it's compensation, it's standard operating procedures, and it's project management. And that's how we do it. So when when you jumped in five months ago as the new marketing leader at Agora Pulse, I would imagine like the way you structure compensation, uh, project management, cross-chaining, training, like it probably wasn't happening the way that you've been implementing it and other stops along the way is that like, what is your approach when you come into a new opportunity and you know, you need to do these things? Is it a, okay, we're going to do these things and here's the plan to make sure everything's documented and we're cross training, or is it like a gradual kind of approach with the teams to making sure like they understand what's happening and why you're doing what you're doing? Okay. That's awesome. Yes. Uh, All the above. Is that an answer? Is that enough? No, <laughs> we can move on. More details. We're done. The answer's done. Um, so, oh, I'm just reflecting back on like my first 60 days were hell. And because what happens when you come into a new role, and this doesn't matter if you're the CMO, you could be coming in as a marketing manager, you can come in as a marketing specialist. It doesn't matter. What I'm about to tell you is what you should be doing. Um, you want to come in and you want to interview every single person on the team just to know what they do and know what, and you know, how they're measured for success and what their challenges are, you know, what's stopping them from preventing, from being successful. You know, how are they measured? For lack of a better word. Uh, then you want to do the same thing with all your key stakeholders. So often that's going to be your chief financial officer, maybe head of support, maybe head of success, definitely the head of sales. And then you want to go and talk to some of your past customers, your, I'm sorry, your current customers. Why did they buy you? What was the buying experience like? You know, would you recommend us? If so, why? If not, why? You get the lay of the land, which is what I did. And along the way, I started to identify a lot of key uh, challenges that were partially presented to me in the recruitment process. You know, the CEO and the key stakeholders were clearly aware, which is why they were looking to hire someone like myself to fix some of the problems. Uh, but you start to understand it in, in, in detail. And you start to understand that a lot of this stuff comes down to some pretty basic, basic things. And, and every job is the same. Uh, number one, it's communication. People sometimes suck at talking. All right. So for example, at Agora Pulse, you know, we had, we had a lot of communication where what I would call somebody in the rank and file. So in the middle of the org chart, we'll talk to somebody else and another team in the middle of the org chart. And they would say, do this, but they wouldn't talk up. So the bosses never knew that that was going on. And so they weren't able to plan around it or they would say, hey, we need to invest money here, but we're already doing that. You're already doing that. How's that happening? Let me see what you're doing. That message is all wrong. How much have we spent on this? So the idea of getting them just simply to communicate up and across, huge. The other part, so communication. The second part of that was, it's a related note to communication, but this happens all the time, is collaboration. So for example, at Agora Pulse, Slack was used to kind of, you know, like the groundhog that pops his head up looks around and says, do I see the sun or not? And he pops his head back down. That's what Slack was for us. They would go, they would post something. I just did this and go back down. There was no collaboration going on. Hey guys, I've got this challenge. How would you handle it? Because in that collaboration and those conversations and that brainstorming together, other things come to the fore and they realize there's bigger issues here. There's a bigger root cause or whatever. People learn from that. That's all communication. So we see this communication. Uh, and the second thing we see 
is there's technology, whether we don't have it or we have too much or what we have, we're not using. The thing is, it's always the process to suck. The processes always suck. We either don't have processes, the processes we have aren't being followed, or if they're being followed, they're not being followed to the right timelines, which is where a project management tool comes in. There you can decide to use a Kanban, like a, a Trello, or you can go through a more sophisticated, like a Teamwork or a Monday.com or an Asana. Uh, but then the last thing is, you truly need help managing all that. So, you know, for us, uh, I was lucky in this particular department, a person on staff who just manages the projects and their whole job is to make sure shit's getting done. They're not there to uh, be the disciplinarian, they're not there to tap. Dude, you're supposed to write this email today because it's going out tomorrow because we need this webinar to take place next week. And if you haven't written the email, that messes everything up. So we need you to do that. Like what's going on? So when I got the Aurora Pulse, the biggest thing I had to do was I did that audit, like I talked about, which is what everybody should do. You quickly determine what they are. The problems are always the same, communication and collaboration, technology and project management. And often related to the project management, the SOPs. And then what you do is you simply communicate. It's like what you just said, you communicate to them. And this is what I did. I came in after 60 days. I did all this. I reordered teams a little bit. Not a lot, just a little bit. And I said, here's what I learned after 60 days. Here's good. Here's where we suck. And here's what you'll know when you do this is that everybody already knows this. And they're so excited that finally somebody's come in and realized what we've been complaining about for so long. So they're never shocked. They're never, ever shocked. Sometimes a little scared or nervous, but generally really excited because somebody's observed the challenges. And then you say, here's what we're going to go do. And it is a very much a staged rollout. It's not all at once because you will die. You could say phase one, this, phase two, that, phase three, this. So for me, phase one was we're going to immediately fix the communication, the collaboration. This is how I expect you. This is how you will use Slack moving forward. All right. And I will call you out if you don't use it this way. And phase one was also we're going to go define standard operating procedures for all of our repeatable campaigns that we will start to follow. And then phase two is then you start getting into, now we're going to go clean up all the crap that's out there. Cause everybody's got a Google drive that is scary as hell. It's got a lot of crap in it. You never want, or they've got old project plans or old HubSpot or Marketo or Pardot or Salesforce. They've got old workflows that are brutal that are affecting you randomly because they get triggered because you don't know it. So phase two is cleaning everything up. And then phase three says, okay, we can start to optimize it. And usually like I like to say is phase one is a quarter, phase two is a quarter, phase three is a quarter. Often you get it done a lot faster, but it just tells them the process and they go, okay. And that gives them time to shift their mindset. And that's how transition goes because they feel like they, they have a plan. It is remarkable how the team responds when you tell them, here's the plan. It doesn't need to be a rocket science plan. They just feel like they have direction and they exhale and then they focus and then life is good. Long answer. Apologies. No, I I love it. Uh, I love you laying the kind of the framework and the foundation. I would imagine at times it feels like you're operating in a kind of new and or an old and uh, future state kind of kind of straddling that back and forth as you're preparing for the transition. And then inevitably, as you're preparing for this transition, you you get messages from like your head of revenue ops that say, hey, I got this ridiculous offer. Like I need to go do this. And so then 
you have to make the decision. Okay. Like, how do we fill this role? Do we fill this role? Like, should I get on, uh, put my recruiting head on? Like, where am I going to go? Like, so maybe like, as you, you built that and as transition happens, like maybe we talk about like how you think about recruiting and it can be specific to this instance, or it can just be in general, but I'd love to kind of understand how you're thinking about recruiting and your philosophy. Okay. So a couple of things, whenever possible, I'm a huge believer of recruiting internally first. That's number one. And it was remarkable because when I did my reorg and then we did have some transitions, but that's one of the things I didn't mention about managing transition. I talked about communication amongst the team. So this will all make sense. I also communicate with my executive peers to say, this is what I'm doing. This is my three-phase approach. Not everybody's going to like this. There's going to be turnover. People will leave the company because I'm scary or they don't like the new world order. If you have a problem with that, let me know. You may hear some chatter in the back room, people complaining about me through the back channels. Let me know. And nine times out of 10, everybody's like, nope, we knew that when we hired you. That's why we hired you. Life is good. Make it happen. We need a change. Go. So that goes to now recruiting. I have to recruit. When I can, I have to identify talent internally that has the potential with the right mentoring and coaching and training to become the next leader. And it's remarkable because I replaced ultimately three key people reporting to me on my team. I think I have, call me eight or nine direct reports right now. Um, and you know, the feedback I got was like a month later, I was in a casual conversation and I had more than one person say, you know what we really liked about you, Daryl? What? You hired people from within. Nobody's ever done that before. They've always recruited externally. And that sends the wrong message when companies do that. You've got great people. They need to see there's a roadmap there to stay because it costs way too much money to lose them and replace them. And they have so much tribal knowledge. So when possible, recruit from within. Part of that is a mentoring process to make sure that they're being developed. So I work with HR extensively because again, if I always, I always want to know who the successor is going back to your transition question. So I can recruit from within and say, this is where I see you going. And I got a plan to get you there in 12 or 18 months, whatever it might be. But if you can't recruit from within, what is my philosophy? My philosophy is you don't need to be an exact fit for the role, but you do need to have some experience. So again, I'll use the RevOps position because we're recruiting that actively. We're literally about to put an offer forward next week. The process has been very much, I view it as a marketer, which is I'm going to make the world's most kick-ass job description. And I'm going to make a video and I'm going to go on all the social media channels. I'm going to say, here's look, look at this job. Here's this cool video. You got to work for us. This is a hot happening place. And then I'm going to go to all the communities. I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to talk to all the influencers and say, here's a video. Here's a job description, you know, work for Daryl Prale and the team. That helps my brand. That helps the company brand. People see that you're hiring. They perceive you as a hot happening company. So recruitment is a great branding tool, number one, all right? Uh, number two, when I get the applications and I get lots of applications, the first thing I look at is simply, I, I go, I don't look at your resume you, you give me. I rarely open your resume, if ever. I go right to your LinkedIn page. That's all I care about. And if I don't see any corollary experience to the role, you'd be shocked. And this RevOps position, how many salespeople and marketing people I had apply that had zero ops experience, but because they were associated with revenue, they just assumed that they were a natural fit. And by the way, they wanted, you know, $200,000 a year. And I'm like, how the hell does one do this? But, you know, hey, kudos for trying. So if you don't have any indirect or, you know, partially related experience, you're gone. 
You don't need to be a rock star. Now, what I then look at is I look at the actual LinkedIn profile. You talk about early on about me and content. I'm looking to say, how many followers does this person have? What's their about? Do they have any featured media? Help me understand their posting activity. Are they just doing out of boys? When was the last time they posted? What's the frequency of posting? Because if they don't, and notice I've not said what's their experience. I get there. I eventually get there. Are they job hopping? Are they not job hopping? But this is the, 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 the how I prioritize my evaluation of you. If you are not active, if you don't have more than a thousand connections, if we don't have at least five to 10 people in common, I'm not hiring you. If you're on doing activity and your activity is just shares and likes and your comments are just out of boys and way to go and love this and check this out. And all you're sharing is whatever your current employer is putting out there and you're doing, you're doing a reshare, you're adding no value or insights. I don't want you. I want somebody who can think. I want somebody who understands the tribe. I want somebody who has a place to go to get answers when they don't have the answer themselves. And that is your social tribe. And the only way you're going to be part of a social tribe and be able to have that network is if you're actively contributing to that tribe. So that's how I recruit. You pass all that. Now I'm going to have a conversation with you and we'll figure it all out. And even that, I'm looking at soft skills. I want to know what's your leadership skills. How do you onboard? How do you manage transition? What's your game plan? It's amazing how many people have difficulties thinking in, in the gray areas. I believe that you probably have the hardcore and hard skills to do the job. That's not where the battle's won. The battle's won in the gray. When someone calls in sick, when someone suddenly gets you know hit by a bus, when suddenly we have to do a 25% reduction in force because the economy is tanked, when you've got a cranky employee who's completely ruining the culture of your organization, are you going to make the hard decisions? None of that are hard skills. Those are soft skills. And that's when I'm interviewing you. That's how I interview you. That's how I interview you. So, and, and then the last thing is I want to see that you're doing there's two things. I want to see that you're interviewing me. You came prepared. You know the questions to ask. You're actively interviewing me. And then the last thing, I will intentionally go quiet on you because I want to see what you do. I want you to chase me. If you can't chase me for a job, you will never chase a troublesome employee or an individual who owes you something as part of a campaign, we, we, you know, a project plan, we need to you know, get completed a task. If you won't chase me for a job, then that says volumes. There you go. That's how I do it. A lot of, lot of good nuggets out there for anyone hiring. I love the process. One thing you said was um, you thought of you know, recruiting and branding kind of as, as one and the yep. same, which I think is super powerful. And then maybe to go back to like the whole communication thing with the team, I would imagine like, you really start to blow it up when it's not just you, the CMO who's out there creating videos and recruiting, but then it's the rest of the team who's sharing the content and people start seeing individuals from, you know, the brands that you're leading in the market. And to me, it shows that like, oh, wow, these people are proud of where they work. And this is, um, if I'm on the hunt, this is a place I want to, I want to be because everyone seems so excited because they're constantly talking and sharing content from their employer. So I would imagine that kind of all bubbles up together. And that's when you, from a perception perspective, it's like, I'm seeing this on LinkedIn 24 seven. Like I hate my job. I saw a role that they posted. Let me go check this out. Yeah. 
And one of the ways, a simple way to, to make that work for you folks is, and most companies do this, so it's not a surprise, uh, is having some kind of bounty. So in other words, if you refer somebody uh, and we hire them, you know, here's a hundred bucks or 500 bucks or whatever it might be. So yeah, you want them to share the role. You want them to talk about it. A, because they're proud, but B, eh, maybe it's not pride for them. Maybe it's a financial reward for them. Either way, the, the candidate they bring to the table just sees that this person is speaking highly of you uh, and the opportunity and wants you to know and wants you to apply. And at the end of the day, how do we hire people? You know, if I go through this whole process and I interview this person, what do I do? Remember, I, I, I made a comment about how many people do we have in common? You know, I'm going to do a background check on you. and I'm going to try to find out who do we know uh, that you haven't given me as a reference so I can say, you know, what's the scoop on this person? What do I need to know? And I mean, and, and just to be clear, that's exactly how I was just hired. They did background checks on me of they, they went they went back over 20 years on me as an aside. And and what was that, uh, what was also interesting now I know I'm a CMO so it's a slightly different hire than a, a marketing specialist or marketing manager. They went through a couple of things they did that were of interest you may find cool or scary. They went through all of my content and they they watch more webinars and podcasts and then come back and they would say on this webinar you did 18 months ago you were talking to this person and you said this. Why did you say that? They would, they want to understand if I understand the process. So you did this webinar nine months ago and you had person A, B, and C on there. They're like legends. How did you get them? And how would you do that for us? Right. They hired an external advisor who is, uh, I guess, an expert in marketing and in noise and awareness to interview me subjectively to say, does this guy know his job? And does he know how to make a lot of noise? So that was one of the things they wanted in the hiring role. They hired, this is not uncommon. I went through, I had to do an, an emotional and psych test. Uh, and then I get all the test results. And it was interesting. What I liked about this, you know, th and this can be scary for some people because you're thinking, oh my God, if I do this, they're going to realize how messed up and irrational I am as a human being. So newsflash, we're all messed up and we're all irrational. Just so you know, uh, my CEO put it best because I asked him the question. I said, well, you, you know, no problem. Not the first job I've been hired or I've had to do this. Um, what is your plans to use with the results for? And his answer was brilliant. And it was one of the reasons that I, I took the job. He goes, oh, Daryl, you're going to be messed up in certain areas. I know that. He goes, we're doing this so we know how to manage you. We know how to work with you. We better understand your strengths and weaknesses. And then we can make sure that you know, we manage you accordingly. There's no surprises. You know, it's not about your capabilities. I love that. The more you can be prepared on how to manage me, my idiosyncrasies, the happier I'm going to be. So sure, knock yourself out. Talk about due diligence. The one thing that stood out to me, and um, this would take, if we could probably have another conversation, it'd take me off the tracks, but you know, we're content people. We're constantly putting ourselves out there talking about what we like, what we don't like. And uh, you said when you were hired, that was used in your conversations and in the recruitment process. I, I wish more salespeople would just listen to the stuff that we're putting out there. And then when they reach out to us, they would use it because the chances of marketing people responding to that likely goes up. But that's that's a whole nother story. And I don't want to get down that rabbit hole. But I do want to talk about just like you're, you sound highly adaptable and just the evolution of where things are are going or have been going in marketing. Like what, what, how have you adapted just on the recruiting and hiring front just over the course of the last two or three years? Oh, okay. So the course of the last two or three years, 
you know, hiring talent has become a pain in the behind. They, they, they you know, they're, um, they're so far, there's so much, there was, there has been so much demand and that's driven salaries through the roof. It's also driven expectations of uh, candidates through the roof where you've got people coming out of school uh, and they're expecting a starting salary of well, historically somebody who's been in the industry for five years or more. Right. And uh, a certain level of entitlement that if I'm not happy here, I'm just going to hop and go to the next job. So that's caused us to change a lot more. Part of it is we we've had to really expand our pool to pull from. Right. So I'll give you an example. When I was the chief revenue officer at Vanilla Soft, uh, my last company, uh, and I was trying to hire sales reps, classic example. Normally I'd say, yeah, I want a rep who's got three to five years experience and it's all SaaS. You know, they understand it. Where we go? Uh, well, when the last couple of years, that profile started becoming massively expensive and often with no additional, uh, how do I put this, success at, in, in sales. Right. Sure, they had the three to five years. And yeah, it was SaaS. And because of that, they think they're entitled to, you know, double what they were paid five years before that. Um, but they were no more, they weren't, they weren't closing twice as many sales as it were five years ago. So that was a bad thing. So what we had to start doing was to say, okay, instead of five years, now we're going to take one to two years and it's going to be any sales experience. It doesn't have to be SaaS. Because what I need to know is you've got the raw skills and then I can train the rest. So We've had to adapt and be more flexible on the skill sets that we desired. And then to compensate for that, we had to invest heavily in our own in-house enablement and training capabilities so that we could hire the people that we hired, uh, we could quickly develop and get up to speed, right? So that was a big, you're seeing a massive investment in enablement, whether it's sales enablement or just you know any kind of skills enablement, coordinating with HR to have these skills and development and making that core to the actual hiring process. I mentioned that earlier about making sure there's a training budget, but training people, you know, having your own course designers on staff, having your own certification people on staff, make sure they understand what the hell's going on. So the biggest change is being less rigid on our expectations and being more open to a broader, uh, you know, category of applicants and then offsetting that with in-house development. What else have we had to do to adapt to the, the, the process? Ah, Okay. Just like people hop jobs faster, perhaps now, we had to start, for lack of a better word, um, saying this ain't working out and you know, it's not you, it's me. So where before I might've given you six months to a year, and then we started saying, okay, we're going to give you three to six months, I mean, one to two quarters. And if you're, we're not seeing what you had pitched us, then we're moving on. Um, so that's the funny part. You think you're job hopping because you have this option, but then we just respond back by saying, well, then we're just going to. We're just going to churn more and until we find the right person. It sounds cold and heartless. It's not meant to. It's, it's what people don't understand is there's a substantial cost to hiring and onboarding an individual. And then there's a substantial cost in training the individual. And if you don't work out, there's a substantial cost and lost opportunity. So if I were to look at a marketing person, marketing, they will get to speed faster than a salesperson will. Um, but still, you're three to six months minimum before you know what the hell you're doing. You have to get the lay of the land and the product or the offering. And how everything works and the technology and the value props and away we go. If you're in sales, you have to build up a sales pipeline that might take, you know, 60 to 90 days for your deal to start closing. So if I if I took three months to find you, and then after two quarters, I've decided you've not worked out, 
that's nine months of sales revenue. If I'm hiring a salesperson that are gone, that I, you know, my forecast that on my business never changed just because I had personnel departures and I had to backfill them. The forecast is still there. So we got a lot more aggressive in that response. Anyway, that's a short and quick and how we reacted. So I want to definitely hit on just a a couple more before we get out of here. Um, You mentioned the social tribe and the importance of individuals being active, sharing, creating online. You can get deeper into that, maybe talk about that, but like just curious on just like qualities of marketers right now. Like, what are you looking for? Like, what what are the requirements for you to even get to a conversation with Daryl? Okay, this is an easy one. If you're a marketer, show me you're a marketer. Okay, I'll, I'll, and I'll, I'll elaborate, but it is staggering, mind-blowing how many marketers suck at show me you're a marketer. Okay, you're a marketer. All right, so this is what, this is what I would expect. If you want this job, you really want this job, this is what I'm going to expect from you. I'm going to expect that you are going to send me a killer one-page CV that I may or may not look at. You're going to send me your LinkedIn profile. But before you send me that profile, you will have gone and tweaked it, not that I will know, with messaging that probably mirrors the job description. That's the first part. You will, uh, so you send me that. You will do multi-channel outreach. You're going to ping me an email. You're going to ping me, you're going to follow me on social and you're going to, and then tie it back that I just sent you an email and I'm really interested in this job. And here's why you're going to show me that you understand the connection request. You're going to pick up the phone. I know, I know it's scary. The telephone, it's scary. Talk to somebody, not text somebody, but you may text me too. So you're going to text me, you're going to talk to me. You're going to make a video and you're going to tell me why you're kick-ass. You're then going to have somebody that I know who knows them, we have in common, And they're going to pick up the phone and say, hey, Daryl, I heard that Susie applied for your job. She's awesome. All right. Just stop there. If you do that, I love you. You're on my short list. But then if you start asking me this, the next level in those communications, Daryl, I was looking at Agorapults versus Hootsuite versus Sprout Social. And this is what I see as the opportunity for you. I know this is the job. I think I can positively contribute to resolving these issues here, but I still think you're exposed over here. What's your plan for that? Again, this stuff is easy to figure out because to your point, if you just listen to half my content, you will hear exactly what the issues are. You want to really blow my socks off? Say, I heard you on that podcast and you said this, those things alone are epic. 98% of marketers applying for jobs simply say, Here's my application. And that's it. If if you're looking for a gig, he just gave you the skinny on how you should approach your next hiring manager. And I couldn't agree more. You We've covered it so much ground in this conversation. And I, I'd like to maybe just leave the listener with something. Um, maybe if you could whittle it down to one thing, there's a lot of people I know, I see the posts on LinkedIn regularly, people out there looking for their next marketing gig and actively talking about the experience and process that they're going through, which I think is helpful. Um, maybe like, what is this one, one nugget that you'd leave anyone who's out there listening, who is looking for a new marketing job today? The one nugget I'm going to tell you, I've alluded to this earlier, is this before you start needing a job. All right. 
And if you now need one, you better bust your hump and hurry up on play catch up is you've got to build your network connections on your tribe. All right. Because I'm now making this stat up. Okay. 95% of all jobs come through a personal introduction or referral, not because you just randomly apply to LinkedIn or not because a recruiter called you. So you need to know. And it's funny because I'm, I see this all the time. I'm on a couple different uh, group text chat. And this has happened this last week. Not making this up. These are all CMOs. This one individual, she was like, hey, I think I'm ready for a change. Uh, this has happened in the last 18 months. I've set out to do what I want to do. I'm looking. Anybody has an idea? Let me know. Fast forward two days, another, another CMO. Hey, uh, this venture capital has an opening in their portfolio company. I told them about you. They're waiting for your call. Thanks. That's how jobs get done. It's all about the tribe and the relationships. It's not about you having as many followers as you need and being quiet. And then suddenly you're looking for a job and you say, hey, I'm looking for a job because you're just one voice of many. If, if you're perceived as adding value and contributing to the, to, the, to the tribe, when you need help, they will come to your rescue. Believe it. So if you're out there, you think you're going to need a job, you're feeling your job's at risk, you're thinking about making a change in the next year, that's what you need to do now and never stop doing it. And by the way, I sucked at that up until about six, seven years ago. So you're not alone is Daryl Prale, Chief Marketing Officer at Agora Pulse. Hopefully you learned something about how to recruit and hire modern day marketer. Daryl, love all the wisdom you shared. Thank you so much. I had an absolute blast getting to know Daryl, getting to understand his philosophy and mindset when it comes around building a team, putting the right people in the seat and doing it in a way that's highly intentional and are going to push the brands that he is leading forward. I think he's off to a good start at Agora Pulse. Go check his stuff out and check out what they're doing. You take care of yourself. Have a really, really good weekend. Talk to you soon. Take care.